Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the privilege of having in the studio today a person whom I've known for quite a while since we were both rather young. He is Dr. Daniel Aylshire. He is the Executive Director of the Association of Theological Schools in the United States and Canada. And many years ago, Dan and I were colleagues together at a seminary and actually served on church staff for a short while together. So, Dan, welcome to Beeson and to the podcast. Thank you, Timothy. Now, we're going to talk today about theological education. And before you dare to turn this off your Internet, uh, you want to listen to this because we're going to talk about some cutting-edge things that are happening, some trends that we see. And if you're a pastor, if you know someone who's a pastor— uh, if you're maybe thinking about seminary yourself, there's some stuff here that will really be interesting for you. But I want to begin with you, Dan, your story, kind of where'd you come from, uh, what's your background, and what brought you to the work of theological education? Well, I grew up in central Ohio and became Southern Baptist in Ohio and went south for college at Belmont and Nashville and then to Southern, then back to, to Nashville to Peabody College for my graduate work. After a while as a pastor, um, I had the opportunity to work for a research organization in Minnesota that was doing work for church bodies and also some work for ATS. And I suppose that if there are two loves in my life, one is the gospel, the other is the life of as academic life. And mm-hmm. so it was a sweet blessing uh, when the opportunity emerged to teach at the seminary where you and I shared our colleagueship days uh, in those years. And then uh, I've been now at, at ATS in one role or the other for the past 23 years. So almost as long as Beeson has been around. Yeah. And uh, you've been a great encourager to us. I'm so grateful for our friendship, but also for the kind of professional guidance and help you gave, especially in those early years when we were taking very small baby steps. You know, I think that sometimes people think of accreditation process as sort of the academic police. But what they are at their best and what the mission of ATS is the the improvement of theological schools to the benefit of communities of faith. So at a time when a school is new and it's learning how to put its work and its processes and its educational programs together, probably ATS is at its most influential in helping to shape and to share the wisdom of what other schools have learned who've gone through similar growth processes. Now, most of our listeners will know at least something about Beeson Divinity School, but it's interesting to get the perspective of an outsider. I think you qualify in a way for that. So how would you describe Beeson to someone who's unfamiliar with us? In some ways, that's a broad landscape question. Where does Beeson fit? And so let me talk in terms of the map. In American Christianity, there are many ways to categorize What we do at ATS is use three broad categories, mainline Protestant, evangelical Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Orthodox. And while some schools have trouble identifying with those communities, most of them identify more with one than the other. So they are three broad divisions. They share much of common that's common in Christianity. They differ from each other. Beeson is an evangelical Protestant school. 
what we think of evangelical Protestant schools in the ATS, there's a Wesleyan and Anglican stream, there's a Reformed stream, there's a Baptistic stream, there is a stream that comes from independent patterns of development like the early 20th century Bible prophecy movement that gave birth to a school like Dallas Seminary. And what's unique about Beeson, most evangelical schools kind of locate in one of those, or Pentecostal, that would be the other large group. Most schools locate within one of those families within this bigger family. And Beeson has been intentional through Mr. Beeson's bequest, through your work as Dean Timothy and the appointments that have been made over these years, to move across all of those families that comprise American evangelical Protestantism. And what I would say is most unique is its effort to bring uh, this family together across its cousins uh, in a way that most other evangelical Protestant schools don't do. All of them would be inclusive, but if you were to go to a school like Asbury, you would be certainly in the Wesleyan tradition. If you go to a school like Fuller, you would be primarily in the Reformed tradition. If you go to a school like Dallas, you would be in that Bible prophecy, independent Bible church community of schools. But Beeson moves across, and what is the evangelical witness across those different sub-communities? So Beeson has a chance to try to identify what is the evangelical witness, Mm -hmm. if it's not a denominational distinctive witness. Mm Yeah, we, we use the word evangelical and ecumenical, yeah. which I know is uh, suspect by some of our fellow evangelicals, and it's a word that, of course, can be distorted and misunderstood, but we think there's a good sense in which these are not contradictory impulses, right. but they do belong together in the heart of the gospel and in the prayer of Jesus for the unity of his body, and we really try to take that seriously, but to do so as an explicitly evangelical community of faith. So evangelical, ecumenical, that's how we see ourselves, and we hope we are able to present that in a, in a winsome and welcoming way to others. Now, last I think it was last January, you gave a talk to other um, ATS school leaders, school presidents, and uh, you used Beeson Divinity School somewhat as an example in your talk. Now, you told me you were going to do this, so you weren't pulling any you know, fast tricks. But I actually haven't heard what you said, and I think our listeners would be interested if you could give us a little recap of that. The setting for it was actually two schools, one of whom is closing this year, and Beeson that's celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. And so the question for the presidents is, you know, what are the factors that contribute to this school closing and to this school growing to maturity as successfully as it has? And what I was trying to do with helping ATS presidents think about is not only the effect of their leadership, but the effect of things they may not be in control of as leaders. And I used Beeson as an example of uh, of a, if you wanted to invent the perfect structure for a seminary in this era, Beeson is sort of a good model for that. It begins with a really generous gift, so there's financial support, but, but money doesn't make a seminary. It supports the formation of a seminary. 
there's value in being university related mm -hmm. because a freestanding seminary has to pay for a lot of services and institutional ballast issues mm -hmm. that an embedded seminary doesn't have to pay for. That it be in a setting where there is an actively engaged religious population. Well, in the Mid-South is about as religiously engaged as any part of the country. And to somehow locate yourself theologically so you're accessible to much of that uh, constituency. That if you wanted the programmatic formula for trying to get a, a seminary going in a very difficult era, those would be four factors, none of which are necessarily chosen. Uh, so people don't say, well, this looks like an area that doesn't have a seminary that has a lot of people that are religiously active, and this is where their theology is, so we'll invent ourselves around that. They're, it's not a formula, it's not a recipe, but those are the characteristics that I think have helped in many ways, Beeson developed the strength and maturity that it has because of where it's located in a university with resources and with an engaged religious community uh, in, 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 a, in a commutable range of the campus. You know, uh, I sort of think of patterns of providence as being more recognizable in hindsight. Uh, at the time, in 1988, when we started Beeson, uh, I don't think anyone was totally conscious of what you've just said, though it makes a perfectly good sense to me uh, that all those factors were in place. And, uh, of course, we, we majored on recruiting really good students who were committed to the church, committed to Jesus Christ, serious about study and preparation, and faculty who loved to teach, and that was a passion of their hearts. And I think those are the two things, though everything else you've said and all of the wonderful blessings that we have – uh, are absolutely an important part of the story. I would want to focus on the students. We have a 1,000 uh, graduated now from Beeson and the wonderful faculty who have taught here for these past two and a half decades. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really a remarkable story, I that. think. Yeah. You're talking to, I'm sure, a number of people on this podcast. Uh, perhaps uh, there are pastors who have students in their churches thinking about seminary or maybe prospective students themselves. Uh, what advice would you give, Dan, to students that are thinking about seminary? What should they be looking for? Uh, how could they choose a seminary? I'm not asking you to tell them all to come to Beeson. In fact, Beeson may not be right for, for all of them. But what are, what are some of the factors that go into that discernment process? We provide a survey for entering seminary students that the majority of ATS schools participate in giving to their students and then we're able to make some evaluation on the data and we ask students why did you choose this seminary and the number one reason year after year after year is the theological commitment of the school that students looking for a seminary want to be at home theologically if they can achieve that um, they also say that it's always important, second reason, the, the academic quality of the faculty. And I don't think that they've gone to an academic guild and saw who did the most recent papers. I think that it's the reputation of the faculty as they hear it through pastors, as they hear it through uh, other students. But I think that students thinking about seminary 
ought to be thinking about where's their theological home because any theological school is going to stretch them from any theological home that they bring. And so it's the issue of what kind of theological home am I ready to be stretched as a Christian believer and uh, as a, a Christian minister. I think that also there is a sense in which the form of ministry that a student is thinking about becomes important. A lot of younger students aren't sure what form that ministry is going to take. So this is, but if, if you're pretty sure you want to be a pastor or you want to be a, an associate minister in education or for youth, there are schools that offer particular uh, focus in their teaching and they ought to be attentive to that. So if you're really interested in youth ministry, there are certain schools in the ATS that don't teach it, don't pay attention to it. It's not on their institutional agenda. You don't want to go there. You want to find the place that would help you grow in capacity to do the kind of ministry uh, the student feels called to do. How would students find out about all these seminaries and what they have to offer, their different degree programs? Is there one place that's generally accessible? There's one I mean, the ATS website, ats.edu, if you go to the membership list, you can look at schools by the degrees they offer. You can look at schools by the denominational affiliations they have. You can look at schools by the region of the country in which they are, and you can sort them. You get a link to every school's website. And we think that much of the traffic on our website is actually going to the membership list and its people uh, searching and then using it as uh, routing uh, to get to seminary websites. One thing we ask all the prospective students to do is to visit the campus and to meet with faculty and staff and other students to kind of get an up-close-and-personal impression. That's probably a good idea. In some cases, international students and others, that's not a feasible way. So we have Skype now and all kinds of wonderful ways to work around yeah. that. But there's really in some ways no substitute, I think maybe both for the student and the school, than to have that personal kind of engagement I would agree, Timothy. At, at that level. Dan, I want to ask you about dangers, trends, problems. We hear a lot about this just in terms of higher education in general. But I wonder if you'd sort of speak to what trends you see out there. What are the flash warnings that various schools may be having on the general landscape of theological education in North America today? Um, I think, Timothy, that there are certain fundamental drivers, and there's a lot of change going on, and I think it's important to us to look at where are the currents and not worry about the waves. That we're trying to see what's going to move things at a fairly substantive level down the road, not just what's uh, making the boat flip back and forth a little bit. And I think that there are several really important drivers going on. One is that the American population is changing in very fundamental ways. So by 2040, persons of Asian, African, and Hispanic descent will outnumber persons of European white descent. And these different communities of color are religiously engaged differently. So that's driving how schools are going to be related to the future. Another driver is the role of religion in the culture. And we have moved in about a 100-year period in the United States and even more so in Canada from religion having a public seat at the table to religion increasingly be relegated to private space. And we have a lot of theological schools that were sort of 
had the self-concept that they were speaking to the world. Uh, and they're now learning that they don't speak to the world. It's not listening. They have to speak to people who are going to be working with people of faith. And maybe some of them will speak to the world, but mm. it's going to be more indirect. Higher education's changing. We're worried about how much it costs. We're worried about how accessible it is. And the church is changing. The way American Christianity is organized and engaged has been going under profound change for the last 50 years. Well, put those four things together, and you have primary currents that are going to influence the future of theological education. Schools are going to, and the church, is going to need to learn how to be more culturally amphibious. That if you only want to relate to one culture, over the next 40 years, you're narrowing ever more the range of people your church can have a hope of reaching. What it means, I, I think we had this image that you could put a church in the suburbs in the 1950s or 60s and people would come. Now, just to have the church there is no indicator. The kind of, the kind of cultural affirmation of the importance of church is gone. That sort of external driver to get people into church is gone. And now we've got to think about what does the gospel call people to? And how can we get the gospel in such an inviting form that people that don't have any cultural signal that church is a good thing will discover that, in fact, the gospel is a good thing? And how we do theological education that equips students more missionally, more culturally competent, more ready to deal with the changed religious reality in which people don't know the biblical story, would be unconvinced about an effort to bring them to faith that only depended on a few scripture verses because the Bible has no intrinsic value. Now, we're in the South. It has more in the South than it does in any other region of the U.S., but it has less in the South than it did 40 years ago or 30 years ago. So I, I think that the threat for both the church and theological education is to miss the currents and understand their impact and influence over time. And that the hope is, in fact, that we will discern these. We will learn how to be missional Christians and missional congregations and missional theological schools since the cultural status part of things isn't going to carry us the way it did 100 years ago or 50 years ago. And that we really are going to educate people who will become leaders in congregations who understand that the church has to create patterns of hospitality and welcome in this culture that it's never created before. Are there some readings on, we know our podcast listeners are good readers, so are there some books or articles? Where would one go to find out uh, some of the things you're talking about, maybe in greater length? Much of the literature on theological education has been a literature of lament. <laughs> yeah. You know, my seminary went bad one way or the other, and you can identify several, but I'd I'm not as convinced of the literature of a lament. I hate to identify something I wrote, but several years ago, I felt like the case for theological education needed to be redefined and uh, worked on a book to try to redefine what is the case, what, what do these schools do when they do their work well. We know they don't work when they don't do their work well. We had lots of people writing to that. And so Earthen Vessels, Hopeful Reflections, on the work and future of theological schools is an effort to say, if they do their work well, here's what is accomplished, 
and here's what they can contribute, and it addresses some of these issues. I think that the focus from time to time uh, in Christianity today and Christian century on theological education is a good resource for pastors and others to get equipped. Mm -hmm. There are so many issues that are the technical issues of running institutions, of doing degree granting, higher education. That's not really the most generic uh, uh, level of concern, and much of the literature is related to that. There is a journal that's published by the association just called Theological Education. Correct. And again, some of the materials there are more technical, but others I find very provocative, thought-provoking, and yeah. might be a place for those who really want to see what professionals in the field are thinking and writing. Uh, you know, the most recent uh, volume of Theological Education was reporting on the work of evangelicals and ma evangelical Protestants, mainline Protestants, and Roman Catholics, and what's the what is the nature of Christian hospitality and pastoral ministry in an increasingly multi-faith world? And we did it as those three groups because we think they have very different primary sources and very different confessional reasons for how they will engage and in the ways they'll engage other world religions. We looked at pastoral practices because whatever your position is on dialogue with other religions, somebody in some pastor's church is going to ask the pastor to do the Buddhist Baptist wedding, is going to ask the pastor to do the Muslim Methodist wedding. And what is the nature of pastoral practice uh, in, in an increasingly multi-faith world? It's the world so that, we live in. Ab yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Daniel Aylshire. He is executive director of the Association of Theological Schools in the United States and Canada. Dan, thank you for your visit to Beeson and for this wonderful conversation today. Thank you for giving us some time to think about theological education. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, beesondivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.